I want to just say that I don't believe that I'm actually the one that's brave here. I believe that my partner is the person that's brave here and I'm just part of her brave journey. I'm not a hero. I'm not something to be looked upon on a pedestal. I'm just a, a human individual that's had a few um, experiences that have um, led me here. The person, the actual person that is brave and really should have the, a voice and opportunity is my son's mother. That was Hugo Kennedy talking about his partner who passed away several years ago. Hugo lost himself in that tragedy, but he has since found purpose in making hats from his small shop in Flinders Street. In this episode, he tells us his story of love, loss and his deep desire to make things right. Brave is produced across the lands of the Bindle and Woolgarugaba people. The Townsville Community Information Centre acknowledges and pays respects to the traditional custodians of this country. My name's Teresa Hudson and I'm the coordinator at the Community Information Centre and today for our Brave podcast I'm joined with Hugo Kennedy. Welcome. Hello. So Hugo Kennedy is just my, so Hugo, I have a very um, interesting African name. Yeah, I bet you do. Which I love but it just, um, it's a bit of a tongue twister to to many people. Um, but yeah, Hugo. Go on, just give a, it to me. What is it? Ugona Kennedy and Joku. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Hugo is my abbreviated first name and then Kennedy is my middle name. I just combined it and it just sounds like a brand, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it works. Thank you for taking the time to spend with me today. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate this opportunity and um, um, I feel welcomed. So thanks for having me. Lovely. Tell us your start. Where did you come from, Hugo? Um, so the start is uh, I'm actually um, born in West Africa, a place called Lagos in Nigeria and then moved as a very, very young infant to London and um, lived with my mother who actually adopted me. And um, yeah, I've lived in London my entire life. Um, but uh, yeah, look, growing up in London, I'm very, very fortunate because I know what life could have been like if I had been raised in Nigeria. Um, it's still not perfect now, but back then in the 80s, um, I know that there was a lot of injustice, a lot of crime, a lot of uh, poverty, a lot of imbalance. So I'm just very lucky I grew up in London. Grew up with a, a working class family. Um, dad worked all the time um, and provided for the family. Mum uh, was a teacher. She was a teacher for 40 years. So she paid her dues, definitely. And you were adopted? Yes, I actually all was. All your brothers and sisters? No, no, no. So it's a, yeah. So my brother and sister, we um, share the same blood, but we have different mothers. So... Um, yeah, my my biological mother is in Nigeria, so so yeah, I was raised by a uh, English Caucasian woman. Her name is Georgia, and she's the only mother I've ever known, and she's the absolute love of my life. I like to phrase it as I was uh, created in in my biological mother's womb, and then whisked away and taken um, and and carried and, and and cared for by my mother Georgia in, in London. I, I can't even put into words how much I love her and um, how much she's done for me. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Being a teacher, but how much did you get away with? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. So um, my mum uh, 
taught at a school called Fairlawn Primary School. And all of us, my brother and sister and I, we all went to the same school. And whenever I was naughty, they would definitely send me to my mum's class. And um, I actually liked it. Hey, mum. You know, I wasn't there for a good reason, but it was good to kind of see mum. Uh, I guess I'm a mum's boy. Just haven't grown up out of that. But um, funny enough, actually, um, I got an opportunity when I was 19 and my mum said, hey, look, one of the after school club teachers, she's she had a fall and she's she injured her back. She said, listen, I've put in a good word for you. My mum's always got my back. She's like, I've put in a good word for you. And um, I said that, you know, my son's at home and he's willing and he's, you know, she, you know what mums do, they, they have your back. And um, I got the job as an after school club worker. And after doing that, um, for some time, I think I was there for like three months. And um, the head teacher said, listen, you're 19, you look the way you are, you know, I'm, obviously I look the way I look. And he said, look, it just is a great idea to have someone like you in the classroom. And so one thing led to another. He actually cut me a deal. He pulled me into his office. And so I went there very nervous, very timid. And um, he sat me down and said, are you enjoying it here? His name's Robin Bosher. Um, and, um, um, he's a wonderful man. He said, are you enjoying it here? I said, I said yes, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it here. He said, um, I, I, I've, been, I've been observing you. I want to give you an opportunity to actually go inside the classroom and shadow a teaching assistant and see if that's something you might want to do. I said, who, me? He said, yes, you. He said, I see something in you. Um, and so one thing led to another, I actually ended up doing a, like a, a foundation degree equivalent or a diploma in Greenwich University. And um, it was a teacher training and child studies course where you had to embark on everything from uh, conception of children, the way their brain works, the way they learn. And then you had to learn how to apply that in a school setting. And so I did that and um, he pulled out a contract and said, you go to you, you know, Greenwich Uni, and you can, you can be employed here full time. It was a massive moment in my life, massive, changed my life. And so I got the job in the school as a, and I was a teaching assistant there for five years. And it was funny because it was the school I went to. So it was almost full circle, you know, to be invited to go back to the, your own very school um, to give back. Um, I thought that was quite special. That is pretty cool. So I've got down here that you spent some time exploring and traveling different places within England and, mm. and whatnot. Tell me about that. Yes, yes, yes. So it actually all started with um, with mum. So around about the age of 15, I had um, an array, a different array of, of, of friends. Um, some were um, had hobbies and interests and like sports. Some would hang out in what we call back in London council estates and just sit there and I mean am I allowed to sit roll up some things this type of thing maybe Bob Marley would be interested in <laughs> but look um so at 15 I had a I had an amalgamation of friends I had I had friends that did things with themselves and I had friends that really didn't and my mum and well my parents always let me decide um who to hang out with but I can remember a distinct distinct time in my life where mum would invite me, give me options. She would say, what are you doing today, Hugo? I was like, oh, I'm gonna go and chill out with Simeon. And she knew what type of guys they were. 
So she would um, give me an ultimatum, a very, very subtle one. She would say, oh, that's lovely. You need some bus money or bus fare. Have a wonderful time. But however, she said, I'm going to be going, taking the train down to Reading. And there's a wonderful uh, museum over there. And there's this person who's coming in to do an exhibition. You're welcome to come. And then she'll just scurry along, walk off. Oh, she's lovely. She's brilliant. Right? And then that seed was planted. She kept on doing it, you know. She would always give me ultimatums. But um, what was wonderful about mum planting those seeds is that it eventually sprouted. And I would have the option to go and hang out with Adrian and maybe there'll be some, some females around and maybe that's how we like to spend time. But mum was going to, say, Brighton to this wonderful show, this exhibition. And I would actually, I remember... I would actually text Adrian and say, duh, 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 duh. hey, Adrian, um, thanks for the invite, but I'm going to bail on this occasion. Have a good one. Um, and yeah, mum was the first person to kind of um, allow me to see something different. And then um, when I um, got the job in the school, um, I started saving up money. Um, I would deliberately, in the school holidays, get a second job at, in bars. And all of the money that I would get working in the bars, I would save up and I would um, use it to, to, to buy tickets to go to Europe. So, I uh, yeah, I enjoyed doing that and um, it really opened up my eyes, um, Europe. So beautiful. I still really love Europe to this day. Is this where it opened your, your eyes more ways than one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always been into cultures, I think, um, because of my upbringing, you see. It's funny, I was raised in a biracial setting, um, which is a very, to me, it's, it's, a, it's an eye-opener. What was that like growing up? Yeah, there were some challenges for sure, because my mum would walk me to school and she would hold my hand. And I remember getting to school and some people would look at us in a strange way because it's a white lady holding a, a black lady's hand. And sometimes kids didn't understand why I'd ha I had a white mother. I didn't take it the wrong way, but I definitely, it, it did, um, it did stick with me, you know. Um, but yeah, look, um, I have a, 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 an African father, I have an English Caucasian mother, and then I have two biracial siblings. So growing up, I could see multiculturalism within my home space and when we have Christmas it's a it's a multicolored place you know it's awesome and I think that's beautiful I think Absolutely. that's I think that's beautiful and um yeah it it, it it intrigued me and led me to wanting to see what other cultures look like and because of that I'm now open I'm not closed off you know so when you were traveling is that when you met your partner no so um we actually met in East London so working in the school 19 saved up some money decided to move to East London, because I grew up in South London, and then I moved to East London because the art scene just just um, drew me there. There was musicians hanging around, that there was sometimes celebrities and actors lived there, and poets and authors. You know, I remember going to a pub and I saw Idris Elba, you know, one of my favorite actors. And um, yeah, we, we, we met in um, East London. I like to, I, I'm gonna say it was around about 2013. I was working at this basement bar and I was uh, working behind the bar and I would always see 
my partner at the time, um, there with her friend. And um, it's actually funny, we took a picture together because there was a camera person that would come and take pictures. You know when you're in that kind of, there's a camera, sometimes there's a camera woman or a man inside the venue. It's funny, I remember we found it, uh, my partner and I, we, we, we found the picture of us when we wasn't together, but we had the picture together. And um, yeah, it's a very, very unique picture. It's a picture that I'll definitely show my son when he's a bit older. <clears throat> so we met there and I remember I said, I've got to pluck up the courage to tell this person that I would like to see her outside of this venue. <laughs> and um, after some time, months went past, she added me on Facebook and then eventually I messaged her and said, I would like to take you on a date. Meet me at Reg Church Street. <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> this specific street at 7 um, p.m. Just arrive there and I'll meet you there. Um, but what I had done is I had rung ahead. This place called Boundary Bar. It's a rooftop bar. I had rang them and told them, please, I'm coming with this wonderful, beautiful lady. Can you have a bottle of Prosecco on ice in the bucket ready for our arrival? They said, yes, we'll do that for you. Sounds like a very special day. I said, it is. And I was nervous, you know. And um, yep, she arrived look, from, yep, looking amazing. I remember what she wore. It was classy as, as anything I've ever seen. I was just mesmerized from, the, from, from day one. Um, upstairs we went, they knew I was there. And it's on the rooftop. And we, um, we sat beside one of them heat lamps and, you know, got warm and cozy. And yeah, we, we spoke, I could have spoke to her all night long, but I had a trick up my sleeve, I had a surprise up my sleeve. We finished our bottle of um, Prosecco, and I said, have you had a good night? And she said, you're wonderful. She thought it was over. I said, all right, get, grab your bag, we're going to the next place. And we got a cab to another rooftop bar, and yeah, look, that was the first date, and um, I think six months after that, we officially called it called ourselves an actual boyfriend and girlfriend. It was a very special time in my life. It sounded like you had a very special relationship and what did you do yeah. within your relationship that was, that was, it was just made wonderful. it awesome? Yeah, it was just wonderful. It was just um, um, a friend to me and one person that would never turn her back on me. But that's something that, you know, I'll never forget that more than anything because just the fact that the love was was unconditional. You um, mentioned that you've got a son. Yes. When was he born? Yeah, so I'll, I'll um, go back a bit. So we actually, I took her on a surprise birthday trip to Brussels. Um, I said to her, look, I know it's your birthday. Just pack a bag, meet me at St. Patterson's. I like to do stuff like that, as you can tell, it's kind of a theme. So I said, just um, meet me at um, Saint, uh, King's Cross, uh, St. Patrick's Station at this time and she met me there and um, we ended up going to Brussels for her birthday. Again, I don't want to talk too much because uh, I don't want to upset anyone, but this is, this, is, this is some great times and great memories. You, I, well, they're your times and they're your memories. Yeah. And yeah. no one can take that away. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, okay. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, so yeah, Brussels, that was fantastic. We also went to Berlin and that was really, really great. And we ended up going to, um, Milan and we we was confused because she she felt pregnant and um 
we we I'm not too sure exactly when it was, but it could have been when we first arrived in Italy. But um, we spent some time in Milan. It was very very romantic. Um, went to a place called Lake 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 de Gomo. It's one of the longest running um, lakes in, in in Italy. Yeah, it was just wonderful. Met met a lot of okay, so we met a lot of Leonardos out there. Okay, so remember that name, Leonardo. So we would, we like to sort of go off the beaten track. We would deliberately just go somewhere that no one's talking about, no one's raving about. And um, we had some of the nicest gnocchi, the, the seafood linguine that we had from these just old buildings, you know, and it, the, the, probably the restaurant had been there for decades, you know. Um, but it was off the beaten track, and I, I remember meeting a Leonardo there, um, and we met a Leonardo um, also around the city, just a bunch of Leonardos, and um, we eventually we eventually gave that name to our son. Yeah, so he's but combined. Com it's a combined. His name is a combined effort. She she chose Levi. I chose I chose the um, the Leonardo part. We just combined it and put it together. So yeah, the, the the name choosing and the 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 the, the list making is something that is it happened to me. It's a real thing that happened, and um, I remember it, and it's it's, it's a, one of a great memory. Yeah. So your partner ended up falling ill. Yes. Had you had Leonardo by then? So. Um, so we, um, she, my partner fell pregnant. And um, I remember we traveled to Hull, where her family um, was um, first, um, and seeing some of her family up there. And then we were sort of just, um, just all, it just was a brand new experience um, that we had never done before. And we was just trying to figure it out as we go. Um, well, it's an exciting experience. As very, well. exciting, very exciting, very um, exciting. But um, we, I took her to Copenhagen. We went to Copenhagen together. And during our stay in Copenhagen, some complications started happening. Again, I'm not gonna go into it because I don't wanna upset anybody. I took it seriously. I knew there was something that more, more than meets the eye. So we ended up going back to England, London. And then that's when we discovered what we discovered. And again, I don't wanna talk about it too much because it's gonna upset people. So she was she was unwell and she was diagnosed with something that was terminal. Something, yep, yeah. And he wasn't born yet. Sorry. He wasn't born. No, yet? my son. Yeah, my son wasn't born. Um, and um, yeah, it was a very unique situation having um someone go through what they went through simultaneously um about to have their firstborn son. Absolutely, something that's supposed to be so exciting and life changing for good reasons, and then you're also battling something else on the other yeah. side of it that's it's not. complete contrast, you know. Mm. One thing is um, growing internally that is meant to be celebrated. And then then all of a sudden, two young people have to find out that um, that things aren't going to go the way they were, were just beginning to plan. So you brought her back to her hometown. We, we went back to, yeah, we went back together. Um, we went back together. It was just the best decision um, made by her mother and family, loving family. Um, and then we, it was just a whirlwind of, of things from the get-go. And it was just, we just we, everyone just wanted the best. Um, um, 
she was very brave. Family was very brave. Mother, father, sister, everyone involved was, was very brave as well. Throughout this whole, throughout this whole situation, it's just a, a traumatic and tragic thing that, um, yeah. When was your son, did he make it to term? Yep, yeah, no, 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 so he, um, he was born Niku because he was premature. My first experience of, of, of my son was looking at, looking at him through an incubator box, you know, just a tiny little something, tiny little creation. I still look at the pictures on my phone. Yeah, so, and then, um, yeah, my son's mother had to go through an, an ordeal that I don't think anyone should have to go through. And um, yeah, she was very brave throughout the whole, the whole procedure. How old was your son when she passed away? Just under two. I remember we, um, his first birthday, I've got pictures of, of, of his very first birthday. And that, I, I was just in awe that we actually was able to, was able to make it to his first birthday. So again, this is an experience that, you know, will always, will always live with me. So you're now in a, in a country with none of your family around, mm. um, your partner's family and your son. That's and right. you had just said goodbye to your partner. Yeah, yeah. What was that like for you, Hugo? And where did that take you over the next couple of years? Um, so before I talk about that, I'd like to say that, you know, I made some, some really, um, bad, uh, choices leading up to her passing and also after her passing. So I really wish that I, um, if I'd have known better at the time, I would have done better. Um, but the, I think that the whole time my head wasn't in the right place, um, and then I think that I acted out of character. So I, um, well, the truth will set you free. So I, um, I remember my son's mother was in Brisbane to get some treatment. And during our absence, I was in towns, town and I um, had organized an art exhibition um, so during the whole process of this, we, um, I was doing art as a means to kind of um, therapeutic exercise. And I, and I ended up wanting to organize a art exhibition. Anyway, during that time, I um, inappropriately um, wrote a message to a person and said, you're a beautiful woman, please come to the exhibition, you know. And somehow the person that I wrote the message to took a picture of it, sent it to another person. And then the fourth person got back to Steph, I think, fourth or fifth. And that was one of the first things that I did that brought shame to me because you got you got one person that's um, going through this 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 traumatic thing, and then you're there doing this bougie art exhibition, writing pleasantries to people, and inviting town to be to be to, to do this. And yeah, that that that's something that I have to live with. Um, and I admit, put my hands up, and that that's, that's inappropriate. And then there was a time that I I. Um, was going through some some stress and some visa issues. I've been on 10 different visas since being here. The first one, I remember my son was born November 21st and in December, I had to leave Australia and did what I had to do and flew back. And that caused me a bit of stress because I was detained. They said, what are you doing? Like, there's jumping around, jumping around. 
So I was detained for five plus hours, not given any water, treated like a like a like a criminal. Anyway, my visa was um, was due to expire, and um, I remember I went to to New York, and I knew that I was leaving someone in my son behind, but I just had to leave Townsville. I remember um, I just felt like I was right. I was running away from the reality. I just felt like I, I wasn't, I, I didn't like who I was then. And so I'd run away and went to New York for some time. And I think that, that left a lot of bad blood with the family, which right, rightfully it should. And so um, that's another thing that I've done. And there, there's been multiple countless things that, I, that, I've, that I've done that I, um, I will admit to and now know that, you know, I've learned from them and I've grown from them. Um, but yeah, going back to what you said um, after she, um, after my son's mother passed, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a rough time for everyone, a very sad time. I took that's the that was when I took I was always drinking, but after she passed, that's when I took to a lot of drinking just to kind of cope. Um, and again, anyone listening, I don't want any any sympathy. I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. Um, but yeah, I just. I enjoy not just not just drinking to get drunk. Well, you were masking something, really, was, weren't was, you? Was was masking something. Yeah, a lot was, of pain there as well, and you rightfully so were allowed to have that pain. It, there was pain, confusion. But you were dealing with it in a very different way to how others would have been dealing with it. Absolutely, I dare say. absolutely. At what point did you get through that, and um, and then you went, I I don't like who I'm becoming. What was your turning point? Okay, so I'll answer the question, but I. I've always known that if you look at someone with the eyes of what they are, they'll always just be that. But if you look at someone with the eyes of what they could potentially be, that would dramatically change them. So I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe in who I was. And I just thought I was a failure, to be honest. I'd failed with um, my partner. I'd failed... Um, to be there and be a perfect partner. And I wasn't full-time there with my son. So I was failing on all these different areas. But my mom has always believed in me. And when I was fortunate enough to see her, I would fly to London to see her, she always would talk to me and look at me, with the, not with what I've done. Not that I'm a dad that's living in a foreign country that's got... Um, visa problems, that's got drinking problems, that did in a, multiple inappropriate things. She didn't look at me like that. She looked at me as the, her son who is capable of doing something. And because she looked at me um, with the eyes of, of, of with, with potential and saw that there was greatness within me, that's one of the most important things that helped me to change. And then there was an incident that happened where, um, yeah, look, I, um, I thought I was gonna lose my son. And the very thought of losing my son and, and him not being a part of my life, that was a very sobering experience, pun intended. That, that, that would sober you up in an instant, what it did with me. And if I was to ever lose him, it would completely break me, defeat me. So, so, I, said, so I said, I looked within and something happens as well. When you feel like you've lost everything or you're almost about to lose everything, and you become very still, I think something very amazing happens, something miraculous happens because you just don't have anywhere else to go. 
So you, you say to yourself, what I did with myself, I said to myself, so what is it that I actually need to do now? First one, stop drinking. It's obviously not helping. So stop drinking. I spent my New Year's Eve and on the 2nd of January, uh, since that day, I've never had a drop of alcohol to this day right now. And then I said to myself, you know, I need more out of life. I want more out of life. I said, Hugo, don't forget, you know, sometimes when you go through stuff, you can forget really who you are. And negativity really, um, it really beats me up. Um, I, have a, I have a difficult time dealing with negativity, not the truth, but just negativity. And there was negativity, negative energy coming from certain places. And I said to myself, remember that you have potential. Your mum believes in you. And so I said, this is what I need to do. I had to leave behind some people that I was hanging out with. Bless them, you know, bless them. They meant well. These individuals would come to my apartment. They meant well with a box of beer on their shoulder. And we would sit there. This is like um, during COVID. I just was miserable. I was at home. Hadn't seen my son for a ridiculous amount of time. And we would just sit there and drink and chat and just numbing, numbing. And I said, what do I need to do? I need to get rid of those type of people because to grow, you have to kind of sometimes, you have to leave people behind sometimes. Um, and in doing that, potentially you could, you could um, motivate them or inspire them. So I did that. And then I just started uh, running. I do yoga as well. Um, I've now started doing yoga every day. But I run, um, stretch, try and eat clean. Uh, I love, I'm absolutely obsessed with reading books on um, um, sort of uh, self-care books. Whenever I go to the bookshop. Do book you have shop. any books that have just been outstanding for you or um, in that way? Outstanding? Um, or ones that you just went, that was a good one? Yeah, m most of the ones that I have... Um, the the Alchemist by uh, Paul Carlo, the subtle art of not giving a F U C K. Oh yeah, that one's cool. Just weird and wonderful books. Um, so I started um, reading books and um, I guess just working on myself. Um, and, th and then that's when the the hobby came around. I stopped drinking, and immediately when I stopped drinking, I started the the, the hat making hobby. So I there was I was always wearing hats and. During COVID, I would get my Akubra, my, my Stetson hat, and I would find whatever I could, like an old tie that I didn't wear or whatever, and I would get some scissors. And you know, um, Christmas crackers, sometimes you can get those good ones when you pop it. There's actually a little sewing kit in there. So I had a few of those in the, in the kitchen. Everyone's got that drawer in the kitchen that's just got stuff. So I went into my COVID lockdown, things, the world is in a state, um, um, things are strange. I'm in my house. I know that I want to do better. I know that I want to make a change. And so I grab my hat and I'm like, I'm going to wear you, but I'm going to make you look funky. I'm going to change you up. I'm going to switch it up. And something happened when I replaced, I put down, I like to say, I put down the bottle of gin and replaced it with what might sound funny to some people with books on millinery and haberdashery and a needle and thread and just dived into it and yeah I just 
fell in love head over heels with the kind of craftsmanship behind it. Um, anyway, I I ended up um, customizing a hat and I wore it over to Maggie Island. And a gentleman approached me um, and said, hey dude, that is a funky hat. Hey, can I buy that? Is it for sale? I said, nah, dude, I'm wearing it. <laughs> and I love it. He was like, man, it's so funky. I said like, yeah, I customized it. He said, what? That's so cool. Anyway, he tried to buy it off me. Offered me a hundred bucks. I said, no, 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 no. He said, what about 200? How does that sound? Cash right now. I said, oh my, in my mind, I was like, just sell the damn thing. You guys, just that. But the, something, maybe pride. I was like, I customized it. I love it. The fact that you want it so badly, I'm going to keep it. Anyway, we became friends. And a light bulb moment went off in my head. I was like, wow. So like, it's liked, because I just wore it because I thought it was cool, but someone else appreciated it. One thing led to another. I said, how can I actually make a hat from scratch? I got a library card. I have in my wallet now, in my back pocket, there's three cards, there's three cards that live in there. I have my bank card, I have a digital business card, and then I have my library card. I value my library card the most out of all the cards I have. My library card, if I lose it, I feel out of place. I love that card. Um, and during this time, momentum was building because I'd stopped drinking and my head was in a different place, it propelled me to start wanting to do more. I was like, I'm doing something different other than just drowning my sorrows and feeling sorry for myself. Something's actually happening now. You know, have you ever, that feeling? That feeling of, you know, shift. Something was shifting within me and it was the shift that I needed. And so I lived in a library. I actually used to take my son there, which was nice. There's something about the library, it's, it's safe, it's quiet. And you know what? I love about the library, it's where the knowledge lives. If, you, if we wanted to learn how to, goodness, make, learn how to play guitar right now, there'll be a book on that, right? There's a book for everything. And I think I just basically took myself to school and just read and I locked myself. I'm very fortunate, um, my housemate Nick, um, if he ever, if he's, uh, ever has the chance to listen to this, thank you so much. We had a spare bedroom in our apartment and he, I said to him, please, I said, can I pay a little bit of extra rent and use that room as my workshop? He said, listen to me, the way that you're so passionate about this right now, he said, just use the room and thank me later. So Nick, this is my thank you later. Because um, I started off in that room, I would actually lock myself in the room, literally lock the door, um, and bought the materials, invested the materials, went on to like um, um, hat making forums, and yeah, I learned so much. I started actually taking it very seriously, and then I bought the materials and learned how to make a hat myself. I bought my first vintage hat block. Um, and learn how to make my first ever hat from scratch. It wasn't the prettiest thing because <laughs> you have to steam uh, felt. How it starts off is this kind of like a hood shape. That's how it comes to you. And then you have to steam it and do it right and condition. There's over 35 steps to have. I've got 35 different processes that I use to make a hat from start to finish, 35 different ones. And so I just fell madly in love with it. And um, um, I think the hat making has really um, saved my life and given me, given me purpose. I really believe that I now have purpose. Um, and I know it's just, 
I know it's so simple. It just, it just, I'm not doing rocket science or changing the world or finding a new cure. No, you're totally doing rocket science because I can tell you now, I would lose <laughs> interest at step three. <laughs> I know I'm not doing anything like, you know. I've been looking finding... for the butterflies. I've been like, butterflies. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's just my love and what I love to do. And I want to be able to, I want to be able to teach my son the skills that I've learned. Um, and I just want to do it until my hands are able, until I physically can't do it anymore. That's, that's when I'll stop. So you sell your hats now. You've opened up a little shop in Flinders Street in Townsville. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I went from having that bedroom space and then um, I was running out of space. And so I had my eye on this particular space for a long time. It was... It was just there for so long. And I did something, I've still got the picture on my phone. I was just after midnight and I was on my way to the night hour and I looked at the space. It had um, antique furniture, overspill antique furniture. The lights were off, dust, as you can imagine, because it just, it just wasn't in use. And I took a, I stood, took a few paces back and took a clean picture of the shop front. And then I etched out the name, it had the old tenant's person's name there, the, the business name, it had the old business name. And I rubbed it out and I ripped my name. And I remember, and I said, I would love to have a shop and a space like that. That was on the March. I approached the people that had the place in late May and I got the keys to the space on the 2nd of June. And um, it's my little, a safe hub where I go and I steam and shape and stitch and sew and I play jazz music and I light candles and I have a a sage stick at the door just to eradicate the bad energies and I have a beautiful fig plant that's uh, doing very very well because I water it twice a week and I have ferns hanging up and it's just my joy it really is my joy I like to call it a hat shop in a studio space What's your Instagram page name? It is uh, Hugo Kennedy Official. The website is hugokennedy.com. Um, and it's, yeah, this might sound bizarre to some people, but I actually didn't um, open up the hat shop to sell hats. I'm being honest with you. I opened it up to have more space to create. I was running out of space. So I was fortunate enough to um, have the space to create. Uh, the, the wonderful Fleming family over at the Speckled Hen. I want to thank them for giving me the opportunity to have the space. But it's just a space where I can create. And, and, and as I create, people like to buy. So it's working out. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just doing what I enjoy now. This hat making is, give, again, to tie it all around, it's given me purpose to do that. And, and um, I, 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 I believe in myself again. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm allowing myself to to do new things, try new things, and to learn new things, and to, to give back and, and just be a better person. Good on you. Thank you so much. BRAVE is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien LaWarden.